Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast Episode 97, Podcast Episode 87, for the week ending Thursday, August 26, 2021. Uh, welcome, coming to you live from the beach in North Carolina. We're down here for a week, a little family vacation. Uh, this is my wife and I at dinner, and then the whole family uh, at the dock, which was just a, a really nice time. And uh, we'll kick it off with uh, thanks to David Lynn for having me on Kitco News yesterday. This was a tremendous uh, a segment, about a half hour in total, uh, shaved down, I think it's 22 minutes or, or something like that. And we really went into in-depth detail on the China situation and our outlook and the reopening trade. Uh, that is a well worthwhile uh, listen. If you have a chance to watch that, please do. Uh, so again, thanks to David. And then I want to thank uh, Devik Jane for having me in his Reuters article earlier this week. My quote was, people are expecting that the accommodative positioning of the Fed will stay in place for at least another handful of months as Delta has given the Fed cover to do nothing in the short term. When you have so much liquidity in the system, there's not any other place to go with rates so low. Investors who have bought these dips have been amply rewarded, so I don't see that changing until they announce taper. Uh, so we had a few hawks out today. We'll discuss that. But again, Chair Powell is driving the bus, and uh, I don't think they, even if they announce something in September or November, I think the implementation is going to be pushed off till early next year. Uh, despite what you're hearing on uh, the networks today. And uh, also want to thank Chibuke Ogu for including me in his Reuters article this week. And I said um, there was a fear that they were going to announce tapering in Jackson Hole and start in September, but that now looks like it'll be in 2022, meaning the implementation. I think the announcement will be September or November. I think the implementation will be very early in 2022. And also, thanks to Chibuke, the next day, yesterday, had me on in his article. Um, uh, I said, bond yields are rising and the reopening trade is on full blast. Banks and other cyclicals are doing well. Tech is taking a back seat. So we're going to take a look at rates as it relates to signals for getting back in the reopening trade. Our base case since the beginning of the year has been um, that... Um, you know, as we said in late May and early June to get back into the interest rate sensitive, which was tech and uh, uh, some of the defensive names that uh, with dividend yield that pay well when yields compress uh, and that the reopening trade would come back in the fall. So we're getting close to that now. Yesterday was kind of like the first uh, uh, showing of that, but I think it, there'll be a, a number of fake outs and then uh, some way halfway into Q3 and certainly Q4 are going to see some real strength for the reopening and cyclicals and value trade to come back like we saw in Q1. Uh, and then finally, thanks to Devik Jane for having me in his article today. I said um, this short-term noise in Kabul is certainly not welcome news, but I think the market can look through that and really wants to see what the Fed has to say tomorrow. That's Friday from Jackson Hole. First off, our thoughts and prayers are with the service people, uh, the military in Kabul and in Afghanistan and their families. This is an absolute tragedy, debacle and embarrassment, uh, the, this pullout situation, uh, fail, complete failure of leadership. And um, we hope this gets resolved very, very quickly. 
and that our service people and citizens that are in Afghanistan can come home safely um, uh, and, and move forward. Uh, Want to get to a couple Ask Me Anything questions uh, today. Surya writes, um, hi, as usual, thanks for your podcast. Would you please kindly give me your opinion on Alibaba's management buying their own shares? I thought if they were buying shares, then the downfall in shares would be limited, and surely they have confidence in their company for the long haul. So, um, sir, you wrote this over the weekend before the rebound. Um, <coughs> so, Alibaba increased their buyback by 50% from $10 billion to $15 billion. Uh, in the sell-down last week, uh, which I, I thought and I referenced in the interview with David on Kitco News, they're the largest, by the way, metals dealer uh, uh, in the U.S., I believe, uh, or in North America. Um, so the volume was three and four times average daily volume. Last week was basically funds blowing up, liquidating, and getting redemptions. Uh, it was uh, disorderly, uh, structural force selling and capitulation is my belief. I think we're at or near the lows. Whether we retest or not, we'll, we'll find out. Um, um, so yes, those buybacks will that increased buyback does show confidence. It will help, but the we're, they're just simply overwhelmed by the volume. And the Chinese government did a good job of scaring foreign money out of the country with their uh, capricious ruling on the education stocks, which we'll talk about. And I think they have reason to walk back in coming weeks and months. Uh, because the uh, parents are flipping out. They want the tutoring that the government has cracked down on. They don't want their kids to have to go work in factories because they can't speak, speak English or they don't get competitive uh, grades that get them into top jobs at, you know, Tencent, Baba, um, JD, and, and, and the like and have promising futures. So uh, great question. Yes, those buybacks are going to help. Uh, once the forced selling is done, we may get some more into the end of the month. But um, uh, that, that is certainly a sign of confidence and that they will be used because they're buying at record discounts to intrinsic value. Um, Jeff asks, uh, uh, Jeffrey Bowen, big fan of your show and great advice. I want to ask you about your thinking on options to potentially enhance your returns. Do you prefer bull call spreads or straight call options? For example, I'm looking at the March 22 calls for BABA. Uh, how would you look at the 175 calls if you were bullish? Straight calls or call spread, perhaps some combination. I would do straight calls uh, at this point. You're at such a huge discount. You don't want to cap your upside because I think once this gets going and there'll be some fits and starts and it won't be a straight line up, I don't think they're going to let people in. And we went through what it looked like in, uh, which was the case with Wells Fargo and was which was the case with uh, Exxon last year. Um so I think that um, uh, don't limit your upside, limit your downside by using straight calls. So this way you, you hedge your risk by, by uh, your, your sizing. So you can control a significant notional value uh, and live to fight another day if the government comes out and does something completely crazy like nationalizes Alibaba, which is never going to happen. But, you know... Who knows? Uh, so, you know, if you have 2% of your equity value, your, your notional exposure at that level might be, you know, 15% of your portfolio, uh, but you're only risking 2%. And if it blows to zero, no problem. And, and if it uh, does what we think it's going to do, you make, you know, 
four, five, six X, and that's the type of asymmetry we like. Great question, uh, Jeffrey, and uh, hope that's helpful. Uh, moving right along, um, at Fed's Jackson Hole meeting, Powell unlikely to provide tapering roadmap for investors. Wall Street is much less confident than it was just a few weeks ago that the Fed is preparing to tap the brakes. Uh, I agree with this, and um, you know, you did have three hawks come out this week. Um, uh, Bullard came out. Uh, Chief Hawk, which is interesting because in December of 2018, when Powell tightened too quickly and crashed the market, um, uh, Bullard was saying it was too early to tighten. So I have a lot of respect and admiration for Bullard. Uh, I think he's a little bit early on this. I think Powell is, is right. I think Powell did an incredible job saving us from a depression last year. He's found his footing uh, and he will take that liquidity out, but with Delta still lingering, number one, and number two, his priority since day one has been full employment. We still have 8.7 million people unemployed versus 5.7 million uh, in February of 2020 before the uh, uh, pandemic started, so he's probably going to want to make a little more headway. I, I think Probably the way to do that is make an announcement in September and do the implementation in early 2022. Kaplan was very hawkish. He walked that back a little bit on Friday and then walked back the walk back today. So they're playing good pack, good cop, bad cop. Bullard's the bad cop here. Powell will come out tomorrow, likely with an accommodative uh, viewpoint, as we noted in the notes. And uh, the other thing that Esther George said was that we've made progress. But what if you read the minutes, which we went into detail last week, um, which she was there, she should know that is substantial progress is what they was the benchmark that they said. And in the minutes, they acknowledged they had made progress, but not substantial progress. And with Delta and with the jobs report coming up in the first Friday of September, I think what we're going to see is a little bit of um lighter results in terms of employment in August. I think Delta will have slowed things down a bit. So uh, that gives them a little cover, even if they announce in September to kind of push off the implementation, whereas Bullard is saying, let's announce and get it all done by first quarter of 2022. You would think the guy is trying to crash the market so he can get Powell's job. I mean, (laughs) I say that in jest, but man, uh, uh, you know, he's concerned about housing bubbles. But, you know, lumber prices have rolled over. You're seeing the builders put supply back on the market now. It's starting to normalize. Uh, material costs are coming down. So part of that with lumber, with housing, everyone wanted to make a knee-jerk move when they were stuck in their houses looking at, you know, real estate porn on Zillow all day. Uh, I think that's kind of normalized a little bit. The market's obviously still hot, but it's it's moving to a more normalized hot. Supplies coming on board. You look at the Toll Brothers, Doug Yearly was on, on yesterday. And you see great progress there. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to do something about uh, above-trend inflation. Uh, but I think uh, Powell is going to do finish off his objectives with employment first, keep a close eye on inflation, and, and likely the implementation early next year. Uh, this is positive news. This was Carl Quintanilla put out Fundstrats data, showed that, uh, as we had anticipated, um, 
Delta rolling over in nine states already. The big states, California, Nevada, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Maine, Missouri, Idaho, and Rhode Island. Very good to see. And this is in line with what we've been saying. India and UK um, peaked at 45 and 50 days and uh, Florida's peaked at around 40 days. So uh, good progress there. We're happy to see that. This is the Dow Jones and the uh, Russell 2000 small caps, basically the reopening trade. Uh, they've done, gone sideways. We covered this a couple weeks ago for four months and six months respectively. We think in the fall this trade comes back and we're going to break out uh, on the small caps. The Dow we're starting to break out, which is, which is positive to see, and that's going to be a function of rates. As far as the, all the talk about bubbles, uh, one of the indicators we look at is this PMO buy all. Uh, again, it, when you're down at the zero level, it favors being a buyer versus a seller. That's not to say you can't go back down and retest and get pullbacks, but um, you know, here's where you're looking to lighten up uh, at these levels, and at these levels, you're looking to buy selectively in, in those areas that there's opportunity. Uh, next, um, some updates. Cigna announced a $2 billion accelerated stock repurchase uh, agreement. Uh, that's good. As we said, we think that stock can work its way to new highs before uh, the year end. Uh, Splunk uh, beat earnings estimates. Strong quarter prompts analysts to raise price targets. That's up, I don't know, 35% or something um, since we talked about it in, I think it was June. Uh, JD soars after recording record users in Q2. Goldman new price target implies a near 100% upside. Kathy Wood increases its stake. So um, this is, you know, this is um, opinion follows trends. So, you know, a lot of people uh, are now starting to look at getting back into Chinese stocks after, after the flush. Uh, a lot of people got, got out of them. And um, it shows the power of these amazing companies uh, that they continue to just beat on top and bottom line and, uh, and grow users in spite of all the government uh, obstacles, the, the obstacles that the government's put in their way, which in the short term may slow their earnings power. In the intermediate term, it increases their competitive moat. And I spent a lot of time on this with, uh, with David on the Kitco interview. And again, you know, if you had to choose listening to this whole podcast or listening to that interview, I, I, I'd probably take a look at that interview. It's, it's, uh, we, we went into a lot of good stuff there. Um, all right, next. Um, okay, want to go through some Chinese developments because there have been a lot of good, good stuff happening this week. Um, next is SEC Chief Gensler. Uh, open your books or be delisted. So this is a fear that we've covered with the variable interest entities trust and the Chinese regulators and now the U.S. regulators saying, you know, you have to comply with our public accounting board audit standards or you'll be delisted. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is um, here here it is. And no one's been talking about this aspect on on the media, which is a foreign company that fails to open its book for the auditors three consecutive years will be barred from trading in the U.S. under that timeline. Non-compliant companies could be delisted as soon as 2024. 
Last time I checked the calendar, it was 2021. So if you're betting that they can't come to some negotiation before 2024, fine. But everyone's saying that they're getting delisted tomorrow. If they weren't on that military list that came out last year, very low probability and more likely they're going to come to a deal beforehand. And those with big audit, big four auditing firms probably have nothing to worry about anyway, which are the Babas, the JDs, and the Tencents, which is why we've repeatedly said you have to be in the highest quality or don't bother. Um, okay, this is really interesting. I love this article on August 20. Chinese stocks slide as Beijing's crackdown shows no sign of abating. If you remember, um, in one of our articles where we compared the this to the 2018, I want to get this up. This is very important because, um, okay. So this article looked exactly like the article that was in the Wall Street Journal when it bottomed the last time. Ah, here it is. China, China, this was um, October 24th, 2018. So they've been cracking down all the way through on the video gamers from uh, January of 2018 all the way to October. So it was like nine, 10 months, 10 cent here, you saw it drop 49.29. So call it 50% over those nine months. And right here, you can see the end of October, this coincides with that article in October, Wall Street Journal, China's pause on video game uh, approvals expected to drag into next year. Um, so it was at the lowest point where they're saying this is not ending anytime soon. And sure enough, we got that type of article in this crackdown. Chinese stock slide as Beijing's crackdown shows no sign of abating. So we'll see if we can point to August 20th uh, as being kind of the bottom. And then we know what happened next. Uh, with all of these stocks over the next couple of years, Tencent was up 288% after dropping 50%. Uh, I'm sorry, that was NetEase. Tencent was up 218%, I believe it was. 216% uh, uh, over the next two years. And Alibaba uh, was down 40 and up 150% over the next two years. So let's see what happens on that front. Uh, moving right along. We have a couple of great developments here. Okay, China allows couples third child amid demographic crisis. I went into this in detail in the interview with David, so check that out. Basically saying that, you know, comparing them to Japan in the late 90s who had the same aging population and demographic cliff and they've still not recovered in three decades uh, the Chinese government is desperate to have their people have children now because they want to avoid the same fate as Japan. And, uh, and they're, they're late to the party. So one thing they found was that um, the parents are flipping out after they've cracked down on the, on the China educators because 
while the government's intent was to incentivize parents to have more children by cracking down on the educators because they thought people weren't having children because the tutors cost too much money, uh, just the opposite has happened. The parents are saying, if we can't get tutoring and our kids don't speak English, they're going to wind up with factory jobs uh, and we're not going to, you know, that's that's a terrible life. Uh, we want them working for Alibaba and Tencent and high, high paid professional jobs. And for that, we need tutors. So it backfired. That's the number one way it backfired. The number two way it backfired is, look at this, China's after-school crackdown wipes out many jobs overnight. Hundreds of thousands of jobs are at stake was the sub-headline here. And it, it shows um, that the U.S. listed education providers had more than 250,000 full-time and contract employees combined. And now they're dealing with um, massive unemployment from these uh, people that it's it's really quite a rush for these education workers to find new jobs since corporate severance plans are based on years of employment. A recruiter told CNBC that means many laid off workers might only get a month or two of pay if they were not forced to resign on their own. So um, so what the Chinese government unintentionally did with this uh, education crackdown is they pissed off the parents, which are going to uh, have parents want to have less children, not more children, what they should have done is give them vouchers to get free tutoring or subsidized tutoring if you want to get people to have kids. Um, uh, and um, like a voucher system. And then they also created an unintentional problem is now they've got a couple hundred thousand people potentially unemployed uh, which is the last thing a communist government wants to do is have mass unemployment because people that don't have jobs protest. So uh, my bet is they have two major constituencies that really hate this decision they made, uh, domestic constituencies, and they may have to uh, walk that back a little bit because they've hurt themselves. Not to mention it just makes them less competitive globally. Uh, by by uh, putting a governor on the ability to educate their own populace. Um, a couple other headlines. Al Gore's investment firm made huge bets on Alibaba and Intel stock. It came out in, his, in their public filings. This is a guy who I'm sure has proper um, wiring into what's happening in China and, and what the outlook is moving forward. Um, that coupled with obviously the, the hitters like Ray, Ray Dalio, who's been going back and forth to China for decades and I think has quite a bit of it. It's AUM from China. Um, Bill Miller of Miller Values got a big position. Uh, um, Charlie Munger's got 21, uh, 17.5% of his portfolio in BABA. And uh, Monish Prabhai has, I think, 21% of his portfolio in Alibaba. Uh, this was a key announcement that came early this week and I think was partly responsible for the initial rebound in these stocks. Uh, I think BABA was up 12.9% uh, in 24 hours. Uh, China's central bank vows to boost credit support, stabilize money growth. So we've talked about this in the past. They, they uh, increased the reserve requirement, uh, lowered the reserve requirement ratios for bank that freed up. $154 billion uh, of lending to small businesses. That was in response to the economic numbers slowing. Now, in response to their crackdown, they're realizing, wait, we have uh, uh, overdone it here. Let's make the environment favorable for foreign investment to come back in. And they said, we're basically going to um, 
uh, match the expansion of the money supply and social financing to nominal economic growth. So they're, they're basically saying we're going to become accommodative, we're going to grow, and uh, you know the coast is, coast is starting to look a lot clearer. Um, China's cyberspace regulator lays out two main conditions for companies wanting to go public. So this is key, um, and this includes wanting to go public overseas. So, you know, sell the rumor was the crackdown. Buy the news is the regulation. They're saying you can now go public overseas. We don't have a problem with that, but you have to uh, follow these two regulations, um, the national laws and regulations, and uh, ensuring the security of national network, critical information structure, infrastructure, and personal data. So this is another move in the right direction uh, of the Chinese government saying, yeah, foreign IPOs are going to be okay. Just follow these rules. We're going to, you know, juice up the money supply and and, uh, growth is coming back. And uh, Wall Street and China to revive talks and hunt for common ground. Uh, The U.S.-China financial roundtable meetings are coming back now. This is between business. and then China economists walk back the common prosperity statement uh, of Xi Jinping, where they say, we're not going to rob the rich. Uh, we're going to grow the pie and redistribute the pie a little bit better at the same time. Uh, so grow the pie is, is a function of the central bank increasing accommodation and uh, turning the growth spigots back on. Uh, Kathy Wood's back in the game, um, uh, more optimistic than pessimistic about China, started to rebuild her China positions after selling them off earlier. And um, China came out last night saying we're maintaining normal communications with U.S. on trade. So they're doing everything. They realize capital fleet in a major way. We saw the disorderly liquidations last week. And now they're saying, wait, we, we might have gone too far here. And I think we're going to see more and more walkbacks. Um, and the, the skepticism and pessimism will be there, uh, you know, for some time um, and, and likely won't thaw just like we saw with the banks and energy until these stocks are back up 50, 75 percent, maybe even 100 percent plus before people start to get interested uh, again in a material way. And that's just fine by us. We've seen this movie before. Uh, this was a guy, uh, this is the guy who runs the K-Web. So, you know, having 8 or 10% in, of your portfolio in Chinese stocks feels like uh, 50% these days. It's a, it's a huge slug, but this guy's got 100% because he runs the uh, China Internet uh, ETF. But I want to just play a couple of his clips because he's, he's hitting on uh, what we said, which is now the rules of the game are becoming clear and the Chinese government is putting out the rules and that should uh, ease anxieties about putting money into the market. So listen to him here. Brendan Ahern. Ahern. Recognize. On Friday, the CSRC, China's SEC, said, please, to the U.S. regulators, we want to solve this issue. Very publicly outreach. On Monday, the state council, a very important body within Chinese government, also reiterated that call that the U.S. and China regulators work together to solve this long-running PCOB audit issue. It very much sounds like China wants to solve the issue. We certainly hope U.S. regulators are engaging them to solve this issue, put it to bed, and not put $2 trillion of U.S. savers' wealth at risk. Very interesting. And again, uh, Okay. So this week, our article of the week was the Ted Lasso stock market and sentiment results. 
Um, on last week's podcast, videocast, one of our Ask Me Anything questions, a, a regular viewer said, thank you for taking the time to provide the weekly write-ups and podcasts. Thank you for also being the Ted Lasso of the Wall Street crowd. It's refreshing how positive you are considering the pushback you've received in the past regarding uh, ExxonMobil, Wells Fargo, etc. at the lows pounding the table. Uh, what he was referring to were the big trades we put on in banks and energy last year when no one wanted them and they were selling banks and uh, energy even harder than they're selling Chinese stocks this year, if you could believe that. And these trades were referenced at the la- end of last week's article. You can click there. Uh, I didn't know who Ted Lasso was, so I took the time while I was flying this week, flying to North Carolina this weekend to watch a few uh, episodes on my phone. I get it now. Ted Lasso pictured above um, uh, is a U.S. football coach brought in to coach an English soccer team. He brings down brings a down home home optimistic style to a complex role and uh, subject matter and ultimately has a positive impact on all the players he coaches. It's what I attempt to do on a weekly basis in my weekly notes and podcast video casts that are now approaching two consecutive years. We're on episode 97, so uh, we're, we're getting there. Um, and, uh, you know, this week, Miles Edlin of Yahoo Finance uh, kind of aggregated all the strategists on Wall Street who have been panic chasing the market up and raising their 2021 and 2022 S&P targets. Wells Fargo increased their year-end price target to 48.35 from 38.50. Uh, talk about a chase. <laughs> um, uh, UBS Wealth Management raised their target from 40 to 4600 from 4500 uh, also raised the June 2022 price target to 4800 from 4650 and the year end 2022 up to 5000 um, Goldman Sachs earlier this month raised their year end price target to 4700 from 4300 and 2022 up to 4900 and these price target increases are predicated not on multiple expansion but rather continued earnings growth from the time the S&P uh, estimates were at about hovering around $200 uh, for 2022, we've repeatedly made the case that they'd push over 220 and ultimately to 230 plus before the end of this year. They're now hovering right around 220, so we're most of the way there. And, um, and that was that. So, um, you know, we covered in the Yogi Berra article you can review for those of you who are new. Uh, kind of the trajectory of the crackdown in 2018 and the similarities and how it resolved to the upside. Here's the timeline now. Last year, we saw Jack Mago missing for three months. Then they delayed and pulled the uh, Ant Financial IPO, which Alibaba owns a third of. Earlier this year, Alibaba was fined $2.7 billion. Uh, And then in July, Chinese education stocks were contemplated being turned into nonprofits basically by shutting off the hours and the days that they could offer their services. I think that's going to be a a turn back here based on major constituencies and major unemployment now. Uh, Two things they didn't think through when they uh, did the capricious uh, activity in, in the first place. Um, and then we're also seeing uh, earlier this month, they called video games spiritual opium by the Chinese government that echoes of the sentiment in 2018 when they said kids should be playing pinball machines, not video games. And then uh, the other thing that shook the market was President Xi calling for common prosperity, which got walked back this week by his economists saying that 
well, we're not going to rob from the rich. We're going to grow the pie and then, you know, uh, try to redistribute uh, equitably. Um, so, so that's the sell the rumor factor of this timeline. Are we at the buy the news? That's the resolution. That's when we get the formal data. So they put out last week uh, the five-year plan to strengthen control over tech and healthcare sectors. Uh, they put out the personal information protection law on Friday, which lays out for the first time a comprehensive set of rules around data collection, similar to the EU GDPR privacy law. So they're just basically catching up with the rest of the world. It's nothing uh, completely over the top, but they don't want to go too far in line with what Europe's done because Europe, as a result of their regulatory mindset, has you know virtually well number one no global tech leaders and number two limited uh, tech innovation, uh, as seen by the weights of their indices is you know basically financials and um, uh, cyclical stocks. And then um, on Tuesday, China's central bank uh, vowed to boost credit support and stabilize money growth, which we just covered. Um, and then if you recall last week, um, I made the point, look for a day that Alibaba for the first time rallies on bad news. So either a day where mass layoffs are announced by Alibaba and the government causes the government to rethink and blink, which it wasn't from Alibaba, it was from the education stocks. Uh, and two, uh, when there's bad news about Alibaba, which there was on Monday, you can click on the link and see the article, more crackdown on the province where Jack Ma's government, the home province of Alibaba and Jack Ma and the government officials there, and the stock rallied big on that day in spite of that bad news. It kind of reminds me of Boeing, you know, constant bad news and the stock keeps climbing up. I think now we're potentially in that stage with Alibaba where it's just going to shrug off bad news. Um, and then we saw Wall Street and China reviving the trade talks and um, and that's that. So it looks like we got that first day of rallying on bad news Monday and uh, and, you know, uh, moved 12.9% off those lows in 24 hours before resting yesterday and today. The whole market's down today, so that's understandable. While the stock is still vulnerable in its overshoot and still hanging out on the skinny branches and could fail, uh, it's, that's why you got to manage your risk. It, it has made a valiant effort on bad news to claw back to safety and potentially begin an aggressive move back towards intrinsic value. So here we are still getting defended around these levels. And um, my sense is like 2018, when this thing goes, it's, it's not going to let, let anyone in. It, you know, it's going to be two months, three months, is basically straight up. People will start to get interested here, and that's when they'll just whack them out before making the longer term move. Uh, it's, it's just generally the sentiment pattern that we find over and over again throughout history. So um, now, as it relates to the reopening trade, um, Wanted to cover a couple of things because we're getting close to the fall here where we had started to look for the um, uh, the uh, cyclicals, value, and reopening trade, energy, financials coming back in earnest like we saw in Q1, industrials, materials, etc. So uh, it's all going to come down to rates. So 
<clears throat> maybe it will be the languaging from Jackson Hole tomorrow where the implication is tapers coming soon even though they don't say anything it kind of gets the market on edge and the 10-year yield kind of climbed higher a bit our base case had been that the 10-year yield uh, which we put out in May that, you know, uh, yields would go down over the summer and then towards the end of the year work their way back up to, you know, 175 to 2%. Right now, it seems like that's impossible. I think that is going to be possible and that will be in line with bringing some, some money back into uh, energy and banks. So uh, we, we may or may not get another great opportunity to buy. We're holding over uh, our core positions from last year. Um, we did some trimming early June, but um, it would have to come in a bit more for us to put new money to work there with, with some exceptions. We talked about City a few weeks ago. That's already up, uh, I don't know what it is, 10 or 13% since we put that one out. That was the only one we were willing to put brand new money into. But the treasuries uh, is what we're watching here. Um as rates go up, those long duration earnings from tech stocks, FANG stocks become less valuable, and those companies generating cash flow right now become the ones that are in favor based on the uh, discounted cash flow model. So if you look historically over the last 20 years, treasuries tend to start to sell off in August and September, uh, and, uh, and yields will go, treasuries sell off, yields go up. And that favors the move back into those for the last quarter, which has been our base case for some time. The other thing that I'm seeing here is commercials, which tend to be right and tend to be early. Um, you know, you see here they were buying ahead of this move up. Now they've been selling consistently. And that implies to me we should be should start to see the 10 year note uh, continue to weaken in fits and starts. And as that happens, more money will move back into value and cyclicals. Uh, so we want to continue to pay attention to that and uh, take it on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, this week, sentiment was up a little bit, 39% bullish, but the fear and greed was still uh, showing fear in the market despite adding near new highs as of yesterday at 44 here. Uh, the National Association of Active Investment Managers plummeted to 70, so they've, they've got to chase back up. And uh, our message for the week, in the picture of... Coach Ted Lasso above, which is right here, and this sign right here says believe. Uh, this is a show on uh, Apple TV, by the way. Um, Ted Lasso is talking to his players about a local community slogan that says, quote, it's the hope that kills. They're a very pessimistic group of Brits because the team hasn't done well of late. And Ted belittles the statement and he replaces the pessimism with a more upbeat slogan quote, do you believe in miracles? Uh, and uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. When when banks and energy doubled after we bought them in the hole, you can scroll and uh, see we referenced our notes from last year when we were laying out the case for them and pounding the table when no one wanted them. Um, people thought it was a miracle. And you're going to see David's uh, disbelief in the video segment from this morning, um, well, from yesterday, actually, that went out this morning when I talk about BABA potentially going up to 300 over the next 12 to 24 months, it's intrinsic value. And I think it'll go higher uh, beyond that. I, I think it's like uh, they have international growth opportunities, their cloud's growing, there's a whole bunch of factors we've gone into in past calls. But um, 
and, you know, and, and um, so so when I lay that out, and I don't blame him. I, I'd be skeptical, too, based on current headlines and current price action. So it's very tough to see the possibilities when all the news is bad. But if you can't see what I see, I invite you to borrow my glasses. It, it won't be easy. Uh, it won't be certain. Uh, there are no guarantees, or and it won't be a straight line. But I believe, <laughs> as Ted Lasso would say, it'll be worth it over time. Again, this is opinion, not advice. And you got to manage your risk, and, and you can do that by sizing. And we've talked about some strategies for that over the last weeks. There have been a lot of uh, unusual call options act, uh, activity coming into BABA this week. 2,500 contracts we saw. Uh, uh, and then another 4,600, another 9,126. This is interesting. This person bought, uh, for March of next year, uh, call strike 240, um, 9,126. Uh, you know, this is this is way out of the money, and I would not be surprised if these become money good. Because, like I said, I, I, I you know, last week I walked through some of the potential targets. Um, uh, you know, if, if this thing gets going and they don't let anyone in, like we saw with Wells and like we saw with uh, Exxon and like we saw with the with the general stock market buying in the hole last March and like we saw with the pan, with the uh, last Chinese crackdown in 2018, um, this looks like a crazy trade, but it might not be that crazy. But I also like this balancing of having some 170s at the money um, as well. Uh, some economic data for this week want to cover um, the manufacturing PMI came in a little weak. So, you know, this Delta has had an Im- impact. And, and uh, if Powell can do a good enough job saying nothing tomorrow uh, and put it off to September, then then I think we'll be on track to get the implementation in 2022 versus 2021 of the taper. And this will give them cover and probably the jobs report the first week of September will give them cover in the in the September meeting not to get too aggressive and certainly not nearly as aggressive as uh, Bullard is implying. Existing home sales were pretty good. That's good to see. New home sales were good. Um, month on month, they were only up 1%. So that did miss expectations. Uh, it was expected to be up 3%. So there's some cooling there. That was what we were referencing earlier. Uh, core dur- durable goods orders were up uh, seven-tenths of a percent versus uh, half a percent expectation. Durable goods orders were uh, better than expected at negative one-tenth of a percent. Crude oil inventories was a draw. The big risk with crude is that um, you do get some movement with Iran, although now it seems unlikely uh, and that could be a flush where you get better buying opportunities. But as I said last week, if you buy, if you have to put new money to work because you didn't have any exposure already, uh, it'd stay high quality like the EOGs and the FANGs. Those seem to have started to get bid a little bit this week. Um, EOGs and FANGs was on the uh, upstream. The midstream was energy transfer and the downstream, I think, was... Uh, Phillips 66 we were talking about last week. You can go, go ahead and review that. Uh, continuing jobless claims. Again, this has always been the sticky number that we're talking. This came in worse than expected. Uh, 2.8 million versus 
2.86 million versus 2.79 estimated. And that leads me to believe that the uh, August report that comes out the first Friday in September will be a little light, which will give the Fed further cover, or certainly Powell further cover. Um, uh, Initial jobless claims uh, were a little bit higher than expected at 353,000. So, you know, the Delta is going to have some impact here. And... um, and that was that we don't have the new rig counts yet. So uh, so really just an update. Uh, I think the biggest change this week was we went from having to sell the rumor and this kind of nebulous idea of the future to more concrete ideas with the uh, announcement of the PIPL, the data privacy laws, the five-year plan, the central bank becoming accommodative. So we're getting more concrete things that the market can stand on. And then the most important thing will be price movement. You know, opinion follows trend. As the prices go up, all of the people that have dumped out of these stocks are going to start to chase back in. And um, and I think that first move is going to be, when it gets going, uh, one that doesn't let many people in. That's usually the way it works. Uh, you get the, you know, obviously initially you get the short squeeze and, the, and then they start panic buying. And then you get uh, some of the value people coming in. Uh, and then uh, after it's moved, you know, 50 to 75 percent, then you get the uh, the momentum chasers and the breakout folks jumping on at the last minute. And that's usually when you'll get that uh, abrupt pullback after a big move before the, the longer term big move starts. So um, with that said, um, I want to thank everyone for listening in. This is, you know, kind of the last week uh, of uh, summer here. So we'll get back on to a regular uh, full tilt schedule moving forward, but um, hope you found this helpful and uh, detailed. And uh, in the meantime, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one.